I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season 6, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada, within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency. We first covered today's story nine months ago when a critical deadline was approaching. The practice of solitary confinement in Canada had been found to violate inmates' human rights. And the Canadian government had been given a year to fix that. And the year was almost up. And since that conversation and that deadline last December, a lot has changed in the world, but not a lot has changed in our prison system. And to be more accurate, if anything really had changed, we likely wouldn't know because the government won't tell us. In fact, it won't even tell the panel that it appointed to help make those changes to the system. Solitary confinement has been declared a violation of basic human rights. It's even been labeled torture. But because it's happening to prisoners, it's tough to find the political will to force the government to follow its own standards. And look, even if you believe in solitary confinement, here's your problem. Now that courts have found against it, prison systems continuing the practice are at risk of paying millions of dollars in settlements to inmates. That's your money. So look, whatever you think about the practice itself, this is a flat-out screw-up. The system is broken. There's no data to tell us how broken it is or how to fix it. And there won't be until the public cares enough to demand it. And so far, the public doesn't seem to care very much. So what happens next? And in the meantime, what's happening in those tiny, isolated cells in century-old buildings? Will we ever know? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, and this is The Big Story. Justin Ling is an investigative reporter, and he's been on this file since well before our last conversation. Hello, Justin. Hey, how's it going? It's going well, and uh, here we are eight months after the first time we talked about this, and and things have not changed much, I guess? No, they, they really, if anything, things may have gotten worse somehow. Just, you know, it almost strains credibility to think it's possible, but things I think may have actually gotten worse on this file. So for people who didn't listen to the first episode, um, we talked to you last December uh, when a deadline for Canada to have a plan to end solitary confinement was just uh, a few days away. And what happened at that deadline and then going forward from there? Right. So this deadline was set by uh, the Court of Appeal in Ontario, and there was a separate case in British Columbia that basically told the federal government it needed to stop a practice that it called administrative segregation, but which everyone else calls solitary confinement. They're basically the same the same thing. Um, and it's a practice whereby prisoners in the federal correction system could be locked up either for their own protection as punishment for other people's protection, you know, any sort of reason. Um for up to 22 hours a day with very limited time to, you know, to interact with other humans and very little time outside. 
the courts said that this was cruel, inhumane, and unconstitutional. Um, they mm -hmm. acknowledged that Canada itself says on the international stage that this practice is torture. And yet the Canadian government fought these decisions every step of the way. Eventually, it sort of acquiesced and went and drafted legislation that was designed to get rid of solitary confinement altogether, or so they said. The idea was to replace these solitary confinement cells with what they call structured intervention units, or SIUs. And these new units were supposed to be bigger, nicer, um, you know, more accommodating to um, you know inmates who may have had mental health issues. And with this was a whole new sort of regulatory regime uh, that would have allowed these inmates out of their cells for slightly longer every day, would have required better oversight, um, would have, you know, required better reviews, and would have required the the uh, Correctional Services Canada to to really actually continue, con continuously monitor um, those who are placed in these units. Um, as we know, it can be extremely damaging for someone's mental health to be locked in solitary for, you know, a limited time on end. Now, there were serious deficiencies with this new program. Um, senators, when this was being studied in the upper chamber, noted that there was really no cap on how long someone could be placed inside one of these structured intervention units. So one of the big problems with solitary is that you had people being locked in these cells for months maybe even, in some cases years on end, which does mm -hmm. horrible things to your mental health. Yeah. Um, so there was no cap like that in the legislation uh, envisioned. Um, but anyway, so you know the SIUs were uh, notionally put into force. Now, the big catch is There's that- There's a lot of was, wers yeah. and would-haves in the, that yeah. description. <laughs> Yeah, so that's exactly right. So the government actually appointed a panel that was supposed to monitor how these uh, SIUs were being implemented. They appointed Dr. Anthony Dube, who's this incredibly well-regarded criminologist, um, and as well as a host of others, uh, lawyers, academics, mental health um, advocates, uh, representation from racialized people, representation from indigenous communities. And together, they were supposed to monitor how these uh, these new units were actually being implemented. Um, and the government told us that after a year, we'll get a really good sense of, of how all of this is being done. Right. And? And it didn't happen. <laughs> you like know, none of it happened? None of it. Literally nothing, almost literally nothing happened. You know, it, it's almost farcical. Did they start using the SIUs? Like, do we know if they were, they were yes. ever tried? Okay. So explain the timeline, I guess. Yeah. So let me tell you what this panel did. You know, last November, so the SIUs came into force in, in, in January, at the beginning of the year. The, this panel, this independent uh, advisory panel, was appointed uh, in, in last September. They started their work around November and went to correctional services and said, hey, listen, as soon as you start implementing these, these new units, please start you know, tracking and feeding us data about how long people are, uh, spend, are, are spending in these cells, how many days outside they're getting, how much meaningful contact they're getting. Tell us, you know, why they're being put in these cells. Tell us who they are. You know, really capture the entirety of how this program is working uh, because we want to be able to see, you know, are, are, are you doing this punitively? Is this right. to protect people? Are people getting the, the, the contact that the courts have said they're, they're required? You know, are you really doing this properly? And... Thanks to a report from this panel, we know that Correctional Services Canada didn't capture that data at all. 
Um, hmm. From the very beginning, correctional services uh, came to this panel and said, we haven't decided whether or not we're going to give you the data you've requested. Months went by. Correctional services eventually said, listen, we don't actually have the data. We weren't capturing it. We weren't collecting it. We never have been. We've had to build this new system. So it's going to take some time. Eventually, in May, correctional services delivers a, a computer. They give them a full computer with all of this, supposedly all of this data on it. Uh -huh. The panel opens it up, boots it up, opens it up, and finds that the data is incoherent. It's unreadable. It disagrees with itself. Um, it doesn't at all answer the questions that this panel has been asking. So they go back to Correctional Services Canada and say, this is, this is woefully inadequate. Correctional Services Canada says, okay, you're right, you're right, a acknowledges the right, and says, we'll keep working on it. We'll hire a data analyst, and we'll see what we can do. At this point, we're nearing, you know, the, the, first, uh, the first half a year of these being implemented, mm -hmm. and Correctional Services Canada has no idea how they're functioning whatsoever. Then the pandemic hits. Right. So Correctional Services Canada is battling a COVID-19 outbreak inside many of its institutions. And what it does, it starts using the old solitary confinement processes to isolate people. So it throws people in the old cells with none of the regulation or oversight required by the new legislation. Um, it just locks them up for, in some cases, 23 and a half hours a day. Inmates, sick people? Sick people. Sick people, people who have been tested and haven't got the results back. People who have tested positive, people who have shown symptoms. So nothing have... to do with like discipline or breaking no. the rules or for their own protection. This is you're sick, get him or maybe sick. I spoke over the phone with an inmate in Quebec who was sitting there basically saying that all of the guys on his range just sat and waited for someone to get sick and they'd be hauled off to the basement where they get thrown in the hole. You know, it's hor he sat there basically saying, like, I don't want to die in that hole. That's what they were all worried about. One of their pr fellow prisoners did die, likely in solitary confinement, uh, because there weren't enough hospital beds to actually treat the sick patients. And they didn't want to move them outside the prison. So they threw them in solitary confinement. Now, none of this was being reported to the panel. None of this has been reported publicly. Mm -hmm. This is thanks only to uh, what the correctional investigator has told us and what I've learned from speaking with many inmates. Um, you know, and, and the panel itself has been kept woefully in the dark about this. Uh, finally, in July, you know, approaching a year uh, on from when they were first appointed, this panel writes this blistering report basically acknowledging that Correctional Services Canada gave them the runaround, wasn't collecting the data that it should have been collecting, didn't make that data available to them, and that you know when this was raised with Correctional Services Canada and Public Safety Minister, Minister Bill Blair's office, um, they didn't do anything about it, that they were ignored you know again and again and again. So this preliminary report gets sent to the Minister and Correctional Services in July. They don't answer. They don't respond at all. So finally, the, the full report gets leaked to me and some others uh, just last week. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it set off this firestorm. You know, people were furious. Advocates, lawyers, um, you know, human rights groups were furious, understandably. And, you know, what does the government do? You know, suddenly it's very urgent. The government right. is, is, is furiously working to get an answer about this. You know, the prime minister says we'll have more to say in the coming days. Bill Blair's office, you know, says they're working, you know, fervently to get a to get an update. So the day after they put out a press release that says they're going to be reappointing the panel and setting up a uh, a work plan to make sure they actually get the data they need. 
Well, it turns out that the panel doesn't want to get reappointed unless the government's going to do something serious to actually bring Correctional Services Canada into line and get this data and actually and get the surveillance in place that is that is absolutely necessary. This has been an absolute, if I may say, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say this. It's been a shit show. It's been an unbelievable I knew shit you were show. Gonna say it. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, it's it's embarrassing. Why? And I'm not maybe I'm not asking you to speculate, but but when you talk to everyone you've talked to in reporting this, what possible reason is there for uh, the government not collecting this data and not sharing it? Like, is this just somebody screwed up incompetence or or what? Because collecting the data would show how bad this system really is. You know, let, let's be really blunt about it. Um, you know, the courts have told the government that what it was doing was unconstitutional and a human rights violation and and may have constituted torture if in this new system you know things are not that different you know let let's let's really break it down what's different between the old system and the new system the old system uh, would have let you lock up inmates for 22 hours a day the new system lets you lock them up for 20 hours a day hmm. you know the old system had no real oversight the new system is largely an oversight system internally. It's largely at the CSE local level. If they remain in isolation uh, for long enough, there is a sort of an external panel that can review the, the placement. But there's no court oversight. You know, there's no real um, reporting, you know, right. envisioned in this system. There's no communication with the public. There's no transparency to this. Um, and, you know, this panel is was really the only tool by which we would have gotten a complete picture of how solitary confinement gets used. And very truthfully, I don't think Correctional Services Canada, I don't think the government wanted that. Because especially during the pandemic, it would have shown that we just kept doing what we used to do. It would have shown that nothing has really changed about this. That, you know, when things got difficult, the government just went right back to throwing people in solitary confinement. Um, you know, that all of the rhetoric around, you know, how they wanted to phase out this practice, you know, fell apart pretty quickly, um, you know, with in the new year and especially in the face of the pandemic. Um, you know, I think in actually collecting this data, it would have, you know, shown just how sort of farcical um, this, this pledge for reform actually is. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. So the panel now says they don't want to get reappointed unless they know um, that they're going to get good information. Do we know uh, what the government's going to do about that? I assume uh, you were trying to get on the phone to Bill Blair as soon as you heard that. Yeah, I've, I've been trying. I, I, I hopefully will be talking to Bill Blair shortly. Um, but I can tell you that the, the chair, um, you know, Anthony Dube, has said, I'm not going back to doing this. And, and it's worth remembering, this panel was a volunteer panel. Right. They weren't being paid. They had to cover their own expenses and then get reimbursed after the fact. But uh, Dube told me that, you know, he would consider being reappointed if they were to give him a firm 
promise and timeline about when that data is coming and were to you know seri take this seriously basically he has the impression that he was used by this government as a fig leaf for a program that was that was never really going to be um, serious about respecting prisoners' rights. Um, you know, he you know has basically said his time was wasted. Um, you know that, that you know that the fact that they weren't even collecting the data shows they're not serious about uh, reform in this respect. I spoke to two other members of the panel who said they basically have the the exact same uh, feeling that. Um, they're going to wait and see what the government actually does. But as is, you know, there's very little appetite, you know, to, to basically, you know, provide a veneer of accountability for a system that just doesn't seem to be designed to actually withstand public scrutiny. And, you know, that's basically where we're at. Um, you know, this government uh, just didn't care. It just didn't care about this panel's work. And, you know, it, it basically used them as, um, you know, a symbol of its commitment, uh, you know, where actually it seems really indifferent about what the courts have said very clearly, which is that this practice is torture and the government needs to stop it. Have they made any uh, firm commitments or big noises uh, yet since the panel came back with that? Because, um, you know, in the big picture, this is a, this is a government that's not exactly handled all sorts of clerical things well recently. And this seems like another own goal. You know, I think this is absolutely an own goal. You know, I think this government would have been better off just cooperating with the panel and, and kind of dealing with what would have been a potentially critical report, but that at very least would have, you know, actually um, shown that they're serious about accountability and transparency here. Instead, this government does what it often does, which is to promise it's transparent, to promise it's accountable, to promise mm -hmm. that it wants oversight and accountability, and instead, you know, frustrates the work of those independent watchdogs. Instead, you know, is consistently, you know, secretive and unwilling to share data or information with outsiders. Um, and, you know, fundamentally is incapable of living up to the standards standards it set for itself. You know, this government keeps saying we want to eliminate, not only we want to, we have eliminated solitary confinement, right. but we don't know that. There's, there's no basis for saying that. The government can't claim that because consistently what we're being told is that solitary confinement is still being practiced and Correctional Services Canada isn't collecting data. So it doesn't even know if it's being practiced or not. It's not surveilling it. It's not watching for it. So how can this government possibly claim they've gotten rid of it? You know, it, 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 it absolutely is farcical. I keep using that word, but it, 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 is a, it is a tragedy and a farce wrapped up all in one. So give me a sense, how do you and other reporters on this and, and advocates, how do you try to get a sense of what is actually happening in solitary confinement right now? And how hard is it? Do you have any rough idea, like how many people, how, how long they're staying no. there? Like, Nothing, eh? No, I mean, you know, the, the best we can do is hope to get on the phone with somebody who is, you know, either just been released or is currently in solitary confinement, which is incredibly difficult. You know, you'll hear stories about um, spouses or family members um, or advocates who are, you know, waiting for a phone call from someone who's inside, you know, a federal facility and the call doesn't come, the call doesn't come. It comes, you know, two weeks later and, you know, they pick up the phone and the other and the person, the prisoner basically says, oh, sorry, you know, I was in solitary confinement for the last two weeks. I couldn't make a phone call. You know, it, 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 it becomes a black box. There are inmates who, you know, have managed to get on the phone. You know, I've heard from inmates who were out of their cell for 20 minutes a day 
and use that 20 minutes to call me just to let me know, you know, the extent to which you know, their prison administration is just locking people up rather than actually addressing um, COVID-19, rather than actually addressing, um, you know, the health concerns or, or rather than, um, you know, seriously, um, you know, trying to, to isolate them in a humane ma- manner. You know, it is incredibly difficult to get any information from Correctional Services Canada. Um, you know, here's a little, here's a fun tidbit. Um, you know, uh, this government has, you know, done a large tap dance about, you know, making the access to information system more accessible and, and, and usable for the public. If you want to file an access to information or a freedom of information request to Correctional Services Canada, you have to mail them a letter with a check. They're, they're one of the only agencies that don't participate in the online uh, access to information system. So you can't make requests online or by email. You have to write them a letter to do it. And when you do file requests, they're incredibly slow to get back to you. Um, you know, if you just ask for things informally, Correctional Services is loath to give you the information that you want. They're incredibly slow. Making interview requests of inmates, if they're ever approved, takes three weeks. Um, you know, it is a system that abhors public scrutiny. And this government has has leaned into that. I think this government has benefited from that. And, you know, it's going to require people really getting mad about this for something to change. Um, but unfortunately, this government counts on the fact that people don't care about inmates, about prisoners, and the right. Unfortunately, the right. Everything I've seen thus far has proven them right. It is not a political liability for them to keep doing this. They could keep torturing inmates and keep losing court battles. And I don't think the public will care. You know, we are going to lose millions and millions of dollars in lawsuits from inmates who will be able to rightfully claim they experienced psychological trauma from being in solitary confinement. You know, we've had to spend hundreds of millions of dollars retrofitting these old prisons to make the old cells, you know, slightly more humane. And and let me tell you, I, I spoke to one member of this panel who got to visit, uh, who, who has dealt with some of these new structured intervention units. And she told me that the changes, in some cases, amount to a new coat of paint and some posters. You know, that is what differentiates a solitary confinement cell from a structured intervention unit cell. Some posters and a new coat of paint. Hmm. You know, that is embarrassing. You know, this government is doing the bare minimum in a bunch of respects. Um, And I think it's, you know, and and again, they're going to count on the public not caring. And unfortunately, I think they're right. Well, in terms of the political uh, ramifications of this, then, I guess uh, two kind of similar questions. First is, has the opposition said anything specifically about the government's mishandling of this because i know that they'd love another uh another another weapon to go after the liberals with but but also do we know um where the conservatives stand on solitary confinement yeah the conservatives are in favor of it (laughs) yeah i mean let's be blunt that the conservative party is 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 in favor of of basically any measure that makes time in prison more difficult whether it's constitutional whether it's not constitutional i I think for them it's it's sort of not much of a difference Hmm. um you know the conservative government over their near decade in power um, consistently underfunded and removed funding from basic programming that helped prisoners reintegrate into society that helped lower recidivism they defunded those programs um, you know they they cut funding for basic things like um, food preparation you know uh, there was a there was a, a deadly riot in, in the Saskatchewan penitentiary just a couple of years ago brought on by the fact that they are basically being malnourished thanks to corners cut by the Harper government 
in terms of, of just basic food. Like, you know, according to the correctional investigators reports, inmates don't even receive uh, the Canada Food Guide minimum allotment for for, for uh, nutrition, for, for basic sustenance. Thanks. So things are very grim and the Conservative Party quite frankly, would be happier making it worse. Um, the NDP, to their credit, has, you know, raised this issue and has, you know, chastised the government for continuing to use solitary confinement in this respect. But at the same time, I mean, you know, the NDP does not consistently talk about this. If you open up their platform for the last few elections, you know, they're talking about providing, you know, small, tiny amounts of money to do small scale programs in some uh, correctional facilities. They're not talking about a wholesale change about how we manage our prisons, which is frankly what's needed. Um, you know, right now we're having a conversation about defunding the police. We need to have a conversation about defunding prisons. The basic reality is that our facilities and our current budget, which is significant, is still not enough to manage the number of inmates we have in our in our prisons. Um, you know, many inmates, you know, close to a majority, are nonviolent offenders. There's no reason why we should continue locking them up. It's going to continue costing us obscene sums of money. We're going to continue having to uh, put people in isolation for, you know, for various reasons, for their protection, for others' protection, you know, because the COVID-19 pandemic is continuing. And we're going to continue losing court battles. The courts are going to continue awarding judgments to prisoners who can rightfully claim they've been tortured inside of our prisons. Um, and, you know, we're going to continue having to retrofit and and uh, refurbish our prisons as you know the courts continue chastising how correctional services manages the inmate population the rational adult solution here is to have fewer people in our prisons to start closing down some of the old ones some of these prisons are 150 years old you know the only responsible choice here is to reduce our prison population, close some of the old prisons, and make the newer prisons actually livable so that we're not uh, getting into a position where we're ignoring the human rights of people who have been locked up. You know, whether they're, you know, serial killers or whether they're they're white-collar criminals, it doesn't matter. We still owe every single citizen of this country a basic constitutional standard, whether they're in prison or out. Uh, but we're not doing that right now, and we're not going to be able to do that as long as we have any, as many people as we do in our prisons, as long as we're managing prisons that are more than a century old, and as long as we're going as long as we're going to continue using practices like solitary confinement, it's just impossible. I kind of hate it when my last question is cynical, but does any of this change uh, in the foreseeable future unless something horrible happens? No, unless something horrible happens is the big caveat. Um, and even then, I'm not sure that anything will change. Like I mentioned, there was a riot that left one person dead and several other people gravely wounded right. over the quality of of food. Something that's so fixable. Our prisons spend between four and six dollars per inmate per day on food. That like really wrap your head around how horrible that is. You know, roughly five dollars a day per an adult male for food. You know, that even even a riot that left people dead couldn't even get us into a conversation about changing that. You know, I don't I don't know why anything will significantly change now. Maybe once the courts start releasing inmates because they've been tortured, releasing convicted killers, releasing, you know, folks who have been charged on violent offenses, maybe once the courts start vacating their convictions because they were locked in solitary confinement for months or years on end, maybe then the the, the country will have to wake up to the fact that these prisons and our and the way we're running them are untenable, but I think it's going to require something really bad happening uh, for this country to wake up and start taking this seriously. 
Well, I hope it doesn't, but thank you, Justin, for all your work on this file and for talking to us about it. Absolutely. Cheers. Justin Ling is an investigative reporter. That was The Big Story. If you'd like more, we are at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can look for our last episode on this. It's from December 8th of 2019. If you want to write to us, the email address is thebigstorypodcast at rci.rogers.com. If you want to yell at us on social media, we are at thebigstoryfpn on Twitter. And if you'd like to rate us and review us, and your reviews have been so kind, most of you, you can find us in your favorite podcast player. That's Apple or Google or Stitcher or Spotify or any other one that you prefer. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.